Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you this week? I'm lovely. Okay. (laughs) I'm something. I'm always something. (laughs) Yeah. Doing well. How are you? Great. (laughs) We've been around each other for how many hours now? Like A lot. Yeah. I know. We have. Yeah. We spend a lot of time together. It's, but I love it. It's really rough, guys. <laughs> no, it's it's nice. This summer's been really great, so. It has been. Yay. Uh, so we actually don't have really any announcements this week, which is great because the last episode, we said we didn't, and then we talked for 10 minutes about nothing. So um, this week, we don't really have any announcements. We did just want to give a quick shout out to one of our new listeners um, who happens to be one of our existing listeners, moms. Um, so it's kind of all come full circle. It's moms and murder. And then now our listener has right. her mom listening to us and we're so excited. Um, and so we're talking about Channing's mom. Jules. Jules. Hi, Jules. <laughs> Hi, Jules. Thanks for listening to us. And thanks for being okay with your daughter listening to us yeah. and not really asking <laughs> any questions about why she's listening to moms who talk murder about murder. Moms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This week's story is about how one night of harmless mischief turned into a tragedy for a group of six young men in Antelope Lake, California. Uh, Melissa. Yes, Mandy. Mischievous things. Okay. Have you done mischievous things ever before? Um, So I actually texted my mom earlier and said... (laughs) You had to ask your mom. (laughs) I did. I said, hey, mom, um, do you remember anything I did as a kid, like to be a nuisance or, you know, overall... Pain. Pain, yeah, to other people. (laughs) And she wrote back three words, no Barney Fife. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Isn't that great? Oh, my goodness. So I have nothing. Mandy, what about you? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I can just think about, like, I just remember back to this one year. I was about 16 or 17, and um, it was just – it was a year. I'll tell you what. So <laughs> it was an election year. Okay. And so I was really into politics as a 17 year old. I don't know why. Right. Um, I just was really into it. I That's wanted good. to be, yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer one day. And so I would follow a lot of news stuff and, um, that's kind of just what I did. So I was really passionate about like the side of the fence that I was on at the time. I'm not going to say which side it was, but, um, I had gone out and like stolen like the opposite Sides. They had so one of my neighbors had like a sign in their yard for the other party, um, not the one that I was into. And I got my friends together one night and we went out and stole the sign out of their yard and threw it in a lake across the street. And we actually wrote on site with sidewalk chalk on their driveway and said that like their candidate sucked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Mandy, your neighbor? That is yeah. the most not well, great thing like, I've ever heard. Not like my direct neighbor, but it was like a few houses down and like around a little corner thing. So then it gets better because I thought like no one's ever going to know that we did this or whatever. Well, I don't know. I guess I had forgotten. But the next morning, a police officer knocked on our door <gasps> and my mom answered it. And he said like um, – I need to talk to you. Like, I think, you know, like you're maybe you have a child here who did something last night like that we need to like talk about, no. like you know, and so because what I had actually done and this is like so stupid, but after I wrote with Sidewalk Chalk on their driveway, I literally numbered all the sidewalks back to my house. <laughs> like, I wrote like one, two, three on every single piece of sidewalk. Literal breadcrumbs all the way. To- <laughs> yeah. And so thankfully, oh, <laughs> thankfully, the officer who responded to that um, was also on my side. <laughs> so he oh, he was really nice. And he was like, well, you have to like return the sign. And I said, I threw it in the lake. And he's like, well, you have to go down to get her a new sign. And then you have to scrub off of her driveway, like where you wrote on her driveway. So I did that. And, um, but yeah, but that's just an example of mischievous behavior (laughs) that I took part in. We had like during election years in 2000. So remember that was the one with the hanging chads here in the States. Uh And that was like all the recount was happening in Florida. So it was all happening in Tallahassee. So my friends and I being the really cool people we were would just drive around in the car all near where all this was going on. Cause it was just we had cameras in Tallahassee for once yeah. <laughs> and we would just scream out the window in hopes that we would be on CNN that night. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, and my friend popped a tire on the way and that's back whenever you had like the only cell phone somebody had was one of the giant brick oh, yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. And his grandmother was not very happy, but that's, I always love that story. I don't yeah. know. You know how you have those memories <laughs> that pop in your head and you're like, that one's so fun and so dumb. I, we were never on TV. Nobody yeah. cared. They hated us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, Mandy, we got to get to this story. Okie dokie. So I mentioned um, that this tragedy took place in Antelope Lake, California. And Melissa, did we Google this city? I really attempted to Google this city. There was a lot of information about Antelope Lake. You'd be surprised. Um, Antelope Lake lies in the beautiful Indian Valley area in central Plumas County. It's around 5,000 feet up and measures about 15 miles around the shoreline. End. That's it. <laughs> That's literally all there is. <laughs> well, there is one more thing. There is no dump station at Antelope Lake Campgrounds. So, <laughs> okay. So take your trash with you. Take your garbage with you. All right. Uh, yeah. And that's, and this will come into the story. Like yeah. there's really nothing, nothing about there, this. Right. Yeah. It was a great time Googling. All right. So we'll just get right into it then. Yeah. <laughs> it was Friday night, July 1st, 2011. And Rory McGuire, Justin Smith, Robert Osornio, John and Tommy Chanley, and Joe Crawford were looking for a party. The young men were all in their 20s and hoping to find something to do that 4th of July weekend. Even better if they found some girls they could hang out with. The six of them piled into Rory's little Chrysler Sebring and took off on the hour drive from Susanville, California to Antelope Lake, where they had heard about a house party that was happening that night. But when they arrived at the lake, they were never able to find the party. And that's when the guys decided to drive around in search of something to do. So speaking of Chrysler Sebrings, as you get further into the office, Mandy, who is still watching the office, by the way. I am. I'm now into season two. I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. You guys hear this? I've been getting crap for years about this. Um, Michael Scott drives a Chrysler Sebring. So when I saw this in the story, I was really excited. Yay. I always have to make an office connection. All right. There's my one. I'll try and stay off of it. One of the men had brought along a bright spotlight. And so they all decided to stop near a local campsite and have themselves a little bit of fun. 
They pulled off the road and plugged in the spotlight and shined it down on a group of campers as a prank. The men laughed and got a kick out of it when the campers came out of their tents yelling and telling them to knock it off. When the men got back into the car to head home, six people in a Chrysler Sebring. That was hard for me. I did want to bring that up too because do they even – I, does it even have like a th- uh, three person oh. backseat? I thought it, it. I mean, it might. I it's they like they a little convertible like a little thingy. Bucket seat. Do oh, they yeah. not have bucket seats in the back, or is it like? Does it go all the way across in the back? I don't know how you got six. Either people way, in there. that's yeah. That's four people in the back. I mean, you can't put three in the front. I mean, were they Damn, riding in laps? No They've had to do some creative shuffling in the vehicle right. there, but like yeah, six car. people in just about any car is not going to work out. No. Rory, the driver of the car, remembered that he had seen a property down the road with a strange warning sign posted, and he wanted to show it to his buddies. So he pulled the car up to the property and shined the spotlight at the sign. They all left as they read what it said. This is a direct quote from the sign. Warning, you are entering the ROC. This is a restricted area. Only red-blooded patriotic Christian Americans are authorized for access upon approval and verification of credentials by the commanding authority. The use of deadly force at the is authorized for use on those found in noncompliance with above. Whoa. You basically need a lawyer just to be able to spell that yeah, out I don't even you. know what any of that means. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So like what credentials can you show to prove that you are a red-blooded patriotic Christian American? Isn't patriotic pretty subjective? Yeah. So <laughs> right there you're already out. So yeah, this is obviously a very crazy sign. So as I think most people would, the young men thought the sign was a joke. They thought it was silly, and since they were in the middle of their evening of harmless trouble, they decided to steal the sign along with a cheap solar light that was on the same property. The group then got back into the car and headed back home to Susanville for the night. So my younger self still likes to play the game, worst case scenario. Right. So if I see the sign that says somebody could possibly shoot you, even if it was like ha 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 in my head... Not Melissa's brain. <laughs> Melissa's brain's like, we're in danger. Get out of here. <laughs> you in danger, girl. Yeah, you in danger, girl. Yeah, that whole meme comes to life for me. Basically yeah. every day of my life, that's how I live. Back at the property that the men had just stolen the sign and light from was a family of five from Reno, Nevada. They were up at Antelope Lake staying in their remote cabin far from civilization. It was the Wallen Reed family. Chad, Carrie, and their three children loved visiting the family cabin at the lake. Chad's grandparents had built the cabin in the 70s, and it had been a beloved retreat for the family for years. They made memories fishing, boating, swimming, and having snowball fights in the winter. The location of the cabin was truly isolated, with all the electricity coming from a generator and absolutely no cell phone service or phone at all. But that really did not bother this particular family. Um, They really liked being able to get away and be in nature and just forget about the hustle and bustle of daily life. And as they family was describing this. We watched a dateline on this. Of course, we'll link that in the show notes. Um, But as I was listening to the wife, um, Carrie, describe like how they just loved being off the grid like this, I was getting like anxiety because I would absolutely hate that whole setup. Yeah. They are out literally in the middle of nowhere. They have no cell phone signal. They don't even have like a landline. Power from a generator? Yeah. All of it. That's like post-hurricane apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. I'm Mm -hmm. not about that at all. And then like- Not voluntarily. Yeah. And then like, of course, like no Wi-Fi. Like, Melissa, what do you do when your Wi-Fi just like kicks off for like a few minutes? I mean, I full panic at five minutes because I realize it's all over. This is where I die. I think I'm never going to contact the outside world again. So I I could not hack it in a 
in a remote cabin in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That would not be the life for I me. I get the appeal of being away from things, but there to me, there is such thing as being too far away from things. Right. And this, this is it. I don't even want to be disconnected at all. Like, just keep me here with all the internet and phones and everything else. So Chad was a loving father who doted on his children and made their safety his number one priority, which he says was instilled in him thanks to his time spent as one of the elite army rangers. With the closest sheriff's office over an hour's drive away, Chad and Carrie knew it was up to them to protect themselves and their family when they were at this remote cabin in the woods. Right. Break-ins were very common in cabin at cabins in that area, and the Wallen Reed cabin had already been broken into numerous times, including once earlier that same year. Because of the threat of intruders, Chad gave Carrie a revolver and taught her how to shoot so that she would be able to protect herself and their children in the event that they were ever attacked while they were at the cabin. So the cabin was also well-stocked with other firearms, including an AR-15, many other guns, shotguns, lots of ammunition for all the guns. Um, it, they were just kind of like a hunt. They were hunt. They were hunters, you know, so right. they had a lot of different weapons and stuff there at the camp. I wonder how much of that kind of stuff is brought home with them when they go to Nevada. Um, well, if you know there's break-ins, I hope they take it that's all That's what I'm them. saying. I, mean, like, I wouldn't leave firearms and ammo. That's what I'm kind of thinking, like, okay, well, if you keep leaving that stuff there and then people know all out in these cabins, there's that stuff that... It's not right that people would break in, but they know it's there. And right. It's kind of a target. That 4th of July weekend, the Wallen Reeds headed to the cabin to celebrate the holiday. Friends of the family joined them and set up a camper on the property close to the road. In the very early hours of the morning of July 2nd, around 2 a.m., Chad said that he was suddenly awakened by commotion taking place outside. When he got up to check on things, he noticed a spotlight being shined around his property, and he heard laughter and yelling and then saw a car speed off. Chad got into his truck and drove down to the end of the driveway to inspect the situation, and he noticed that one of the solar lights that was used to mark the edge of the property was missing, which, at this point, he's confused as to what happened. He went back into the house and went back to bed. When the sun came up that morning, the family went down to check on their friends in the camper and noticed footprints in the dirt nearby, but they were unable to match these shoe prints to anyone else in, the, in their party's shoes. Okay, this part like kind of made me laugh. Okay, okay like, <laughs> I I thought that too. I'm like, I feel I felt bad afterwards because I'm like, okay, that's not really funny, but like I don't know, it was something about that was funny. Like the whole family's down there inspecting shoe prints, and they're like, everyone, go get your shoes. Like, let's go see. Like, yeah, I, I, Detective Gumshoe. <laughs> it's just it's just extreme. I feel like for like considering what had happened, like it wasn't really that serious. Well, they hear I, him laughing. That was the thing right. I thought. Like you hear them laughing, so it doesn't sound sinister or anything. Right, it sounds exactly. stupid, but it, does. it doesn't sound. Sinister. Yeah. And then, you know, this level of paranoia is just being built upon. Exactly. You're everybody's, if you're out checking everybody's shoes. You're on edge. You're on edge. Yeah. (laughs) You started at that, like an 11. Yeah. So So it appeared to everyone that a stranger had been on the property and the family had no idea what their intentions were or if they would be back. Later that afternoon, uh, we're still on July 2nd. Carrie was at the cabin alone with the kids when she looked out the window and noticed a strange Jeep slowly driving up the driveway with a young male uh, in the driver's seat. She didn't know whether the man was lost or looking for help, but she grabbed her revolver and told her kids to stay down. Again, this is a little bit of an overreaction for seeing somebody just driving up your driveway at 2 in the afternoon. Right. I know it's remote and it's out in the middle of nowhere, but um, I, like, I, I don't know. Don't I feel like as a family, they're at this point, they are – they're thinking something's going to happen. Like they're just But preparing. you're building yourself up for everyone is, is very high. And I wonder, it sounds like maybe the dad was 
at the height of this. Right. I mean, they talked about this, the kids, you know, saying, we asked dad what would happen. And right. he said he'd protect me. Like that was. Like, are we going to be okay? Yeah. And like all that. Instead it was, of just like letting your kids, you know, be like, yeah, it'll be fine. Don't worry. You don't need to say yeah. dad will protect us, blah, 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 right. blah. Right. Because then you start putting ideas like, well, what do we need protecting from? Like, exactly. you know, what's going on? Like what? What's do their kids happen? not ask questions? That's all mine would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. I know. I would just be like, no, it's fine. Just. Yeah. Go find something to do. There you go. <laughs> but not on the laptop because that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> so the Jeep eventually backed up and drove away without any confrontation. But Carrie was extremely uneasy from that moment on, she says. That night, Carrie and the kids fell asleep on the couch while watching a movie. And Chad and his friends that were staying on their property with them did a little target practice with the AR-15. And then they sat outside on the porch just hanging out. Between 9 and 10 p.m., Chad's friends noticed that a car had pulled up just outside of the property and had shut the headlights off. At this point, Chad went into, I guess, some sort of self-preservation mode, and he picked up the AR-15 and fired a warning shot completely into the darkness, not at anything. Yeah. Gun safety 101, you don't do this right. <laughs> type of thing. But that's what he did. Um, so the next thing that he saw was a man running away in the darkness and then the car and then uh, the car that he had seen had sped off again, just as it had the night before. Chad was very irritated and felt that someone was stalking his family and he was going to get to the bottom of it. He took off after the car uh, armed with the AR-15 as well as a handgun. But Chad said that his intention that night was simply to catch up to the vehicle and get their tag number, quote, or something. How's that saying go? Failing to plan is planning to fail. And as much as I'd like to pretend I could just wing it through life, I know that I can't. But no matter how much planning I do, if I can't get a good night's sleep to execute it, all the planning in the world couldn't save me. And I'm sure you've been there before too. But thanks to Magnesium Breakthrough, no matter what my day looks like, I know I can go into it being well rested and feeling great. For me personally, taking Magnesium Breakthrough before I go to bed has helped me solve some of those sleep problems, including that winding down after a long day, as well as tossing and turning while I'm rehashing literally every second of the day. And while there are a lot of magnesium supplements out there, only one can give you all seven forms of magnesium that are designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed, and that is Magnesium Breakthrough. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to buy buyoptimizers.com slash moms. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's buyoptimizers.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout to save 10%. Before we get into what happened next, we want to go back to these six young men from the beginning of the story. Um, these are the same six young men that had stolen that solar light on the Wall and Reed property. As it would turn out, the guys had gotten wind of another party that was supposed to be happening up near Antelope Lake on July 2nd. After attending a barbecue together, the same six men got into the Sebring driven by Rory McGuire and headed off once again in search of a party. They stopped and picked up a bottle of vodka and some beer to take along with them. At this point, there's no room in this vehicle. Right. <laughs> I don't even know how they're sitting in there. Along the way, the men were going to pass the Wall and Reed property again, and they decided to stop by and steal more solar lights for whatever reason. Fun and pranks and bad ideas, I guess. Right. But this time, they were horrified to hear what sounded like a gunshot, and Rory took off in the car in a panic. The gunshot he heard was that warning shot we talked about before that Chad had fired off. The next part of the story has two different versions. There's Chad's version, and then there's the story of the six young men in the Sebring. We are going to tell you both of these versions. Before we get into these two stories, though, we're going to take a quick break for this week's sponsor. 
Summer's here in Florida, which means we are basically living on the surface of the sun. So to stay cool, ModCloth has us covered when it comes to chic and literally cool clothing. You can nab everything from travel-inspired prints to breezy sundresses. They are so adorable, even I would go cardigan-free. Since it's summer, we spend a lot of time in the pool as an act of survival, which means we are constantly in swimsuits. Luckily, ModCloth has the perfect swimsuits. Whether you want one piece or two, they offer a wide variety of styles in a full-size range. Their site makes it super easy to find exactly what you're looking for. In fact, I searched the keyword pockets and found a ton of adorable dresses and skirts with pockets, which is my favorite fashion idea ever. I have my eye on a navy A-line dress with red hearts all over it, and the best part is that it comes with functional pockets, pockets for snacks. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code MOMS at checkout. Again, to get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com, enter code MOMS at checkout. Hurry, this offer expires on October 10th, 2018. Now, back to the show. So according to Chad, his military training kicked in, and he felt that he needed to pursue the threat, which to him was these these people that he didn't know what they were doing on his property, and he felt that he needed to handle it in order to keep his family safe. He said that he was taught in the military to never back down and to neutralize the threat. So I have never been in the military, and I can't yeah. speak to what they teach in the military, but I do know that in the civilian world where the rest of us live, um, chasing down a threat is actually frowned upon yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, that's not something that you're really allowed to do. So um, basically the whole thing is that if you are feeling threatened or if someone has come onto your property, if they are leaving and retreating, like you are no longer within your right to, you can't just chase them down and go right. and, and try to neutralize the threat. Yeah. That's not how it works. Uh, and they're I would, not a threat if they're not on your property. Exactly. And if they are actively leaving, they are no longer an immediate threat to your life or your family or your property or anything else. So right. at that point, you don't have any reason to yeah. pursue a, a, a fight with them. So already I was not a fan at this point of Chad Wallen Reed and the way that he's choosing to handle this situation. Uh, just lots of red flags and warning bells going off about him and and all of that. So Chad uh, is now engaged in a frantic chase down a dark, deserted road, and he has no idea who is in the vehicle in front of him or why they were on his property. Um, he said that someone in the car started shining a very bright spotlight at him, which we know the guys did have a spotlight. They were using it to do their shenanigans, you know, the, those two nights they were out there. Um, and so they shine the spotlight at Chad while Chad is chasing them. And essentially, Chad was blinded by the light while he was driving. And Chad says uh, that he then saw three flashes and heard three gunshots being fired in his direction. So Chad is saying, he's alleging that these men that are in the Sebring are firing a gun at him, right. you know, while they're driving down the road. So he says that he pulled out his pistol and pointed it out the window at the Sebring and just started firing into the air. Yeah. Which I would assume in the military, again, I wasn't in the military either. That's not what you do. That's not what they teach you there either. Not like all willy nilly. No, no, no. That's like, like I said, number one, you don't know who's in the car. There could be kids in the car. There's innocent right. people in the car. Like, you don't know. You yeah. can't just blindly shoot into a vehicle. There could be other like, vehicles coming. You exactly. Know? Like you are putting so many lives in danger unnecessarily. Like, and you could just stop and turn around and go home. Right. And just forget all of this nonsense. Yeah. Um, that part of the, this whole 
story really irritates me. <laughs> like, it's just upsetting. It's just, it is upsetting because um, it also has been, it would have been so avoidable. Right. So after Chad had returned fire, I'm using that very loosely, um, he noticed that someone in the Sebring had tossed these stolen solar lights out the window and then he saw what he believed was a piece of plastic being waved out the window of the car, but he couldn't really make out what it was or, you know, what they were doing with it. After a 7.6-mile chase, the Sebring missed a turn and ended up turning down a random dirt road that led to a meadow. And Chad was hot on their tail and not going to give up until he confronted whoever it was that was in that car. And this is just all so dumb. Like, as we've been saying, it's just so stupid. Right. And it's putting yourself really in a bad situation that you don't have to be in also. Right. You know? That's what I'm thinking. You have these kids at home. You're wanting to protect them and stuff. But now you're leaving them on the property and chasing somebody with a gun. I don't, I don't see the thought process yeah, here. Yeah. So when the Sebring reached the end of the dirt road, it made a quick 180 and slid into position so that it was now facing Chad's truck and getting ready to drive back past Chad in the opposite direction. Chad said at this point that he feared for his life and he felt that the people in the Sebring were looking for a gunfight. So Chad grabbed his AR-15, pointed it out the window, and just started spraying bullets at the Sebring. Oh just just willy-nilly, just just firing. Um, the windows exploded. There was bullet holes riddling the vehicle. And finally, the car came to a rest in an embankment off the side of the dirt road. Uh, Chad says he does not recall how many shots he fired. After the gun smoke cleared, Chad got out of his truck to go assess the damage he had done and, in his words, to clear the Sebring. He said that as he approached the car with his trusty AR-15 at the ready, he heard a young-sounding voice say, We give up. Don't kill us. Chad noticed that the driver of the vehicle was hunched over with a bullet wound in his neck, but Chad did not stick around to check for vital signs. He did not know who any of the men in the car were, and in his version of the story, he said that he told the young men he was going to call for help. Remember, there's no cell service or nearby police station in this remote area of California, which to me, California, I just didn't even know there was a part of California like this. (laughs) I didn't either. I felt really dumb. I was like, really? I mean, it's a big state, but yeah, yeah, I I had no idea. My knowledge of geography is real, real bad. (laughs) So Chad decides to head back to his cabin to consult with his friends and wife about what they should do. Instead of going to the police or anything else, he goes home. That is one of the more upsetting things to me. So when he tells his friends what's happened, they all sort of laughed it off, which makes me worry about what kind of jokes this guy told. Right. Right. Um, And until Chad told him that he seriously thought he may have killed the driver, then they started to take him seriously. He then goes inside to tell his wife, Carrie, the news. Chad decided that he needed to drive closer to the nearest town to get cell reception and dial 911. How much time are you wasting? Right. After you, like, already realize that you have shot up a vehicle full of people and you've already realized that the driver... You know they need help. Yeah, and the driver is unconscious. And, like, I just... It just is mind-blowing how much time he spent doing absolutely nothing and talking this over with people... Um, instead of getting help or right. it just, it, I have goosebumps even saying that because it really just blows my mind. Well, his wife, they even say in the dateline, and I might've read this too, that she got dressed like there, right. nobody's in any rush with this. Right. He's in a rush to chase them down right. the road, but not in a rush to get and help. If you guys get a chance, you have got to look up this dateline just to oh, see these people in action because I mean, I don't like to be like rude or judgmental, but this is like one of the strangest families I have ever seen. Um, yeah. I just didn't, I, I don't even want to make assumptions about what's going on there, but um, something's going on there. Yeah, it's not, it's not the normal you see on Dateline for no. sure. 
So as Chad drives off, tries to make a call, um, tries to call 911, the phone drops. Um, and so he has to drive further to make another call. He explained to the operator that there had been a shooting, but he didn't have an address and couldn't really explain how to find the six men out there in the middle of the wilderness down a random dirt road. One of the men in the Sebring was Justin Lewis Smith. He goes by Lewis. And his account of what happened that night has some key differences to what Chad's version of the events were. Lewis admitted that the group of friends had stolen the solar lights from the Wallen Reed property in a random act of petty vandalism after seeing the ridiculous sign in front of Chad's property. They were essentially just a group of bored guys looking to mess with whoever lived on the ROC, which, by the way, evidently stood for Republic of Chad, which I just have so many words for. To me, that sums up this guy, though, really. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it does. He thinks it's a Republic of Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis said that when the group of young men were at the property the second time and heard the gunshot, they got scared and bolted out of there as fast as possible as anybody would. Right. Uh, These guys were not looking for a fight. They were just out there trying to have fun and make each other laugh. So when Chad got in his truck and started chasing them down, they panicked and tried to flee as fast as possible. According to Lewis, after the men had driven about half a mile, they noticed what appeared to be a green laser light shining into the Sebring they were traveling in. It quickly became obvious that what they were seeing was actually the laser sight of a gun. The men saw the green laser first, followed by a red laser, and then came an onslaught of gunfire. The young men were absolutely terrified. They were out in the middle of nowhere with no help nearby, and they had what they could only assume was a madman chasing them down and shooting at them. In an effort to defuse the situation, the man in the passenger side of the Sebring, Cesar Gonzalez, attempted to hang himself out the window to shine the spotlight directly at Chad's truck in hopes that he would be temporarily blinded and that the young men would have time to ditch him. The tactic did not work, and when Gonzalez heard a bullet whiz by his head, he knew he had better get back inside the vehicle. I can't imagine how terrifying that whole scene playing out would be would even be that's just so this is my thought and this could be totally wrong i would seem like okay you've seen the shotguns and now somebody's chasing you you have that adrenaline right everybody's in the car and you're all like oh my gosh what do we do and then they as soon as somebody's going out like they're trying to like make this situation right they you know they really are doing what they can to stop it right but there's no stopping this guy right at this point the young men in the sebring were desperate to lose chad and get themselves to safety They tossed the stolen solar lights out the window, and Gonzalez attempted to wave a white t-shirt out the window in an effort to signal that they were trying to surrender. But Chad was allegedly unfazed and continued to fire shots at the Sebring while driving down the dark and secluded road. Rory, who, as we said before, is the driver, then missed the turn that he intended to take that would have led the men out of the area and back in the direction that they wanted to go. And so they ended up on this small dirt road that quickly came to an end. And with Chad following and shooting closely behind them, they had very few options for escape. And Rory made a very quick U-turn and attempted to position himself so that he could drive back the other direction towards the main road. At this point, according to the occupants of the Sebring, chaos broke out. Uh, There was just wave after wave of gunfire exploding into the car. Rory had been hit and had fallen unconscious. Lewis had been shot in the calf. And uh, Robert, another passenger, had also been shot in the leg. Gonzalez, who was riding in the passenger seat, realized that Rory was unconscious. And he actually picked up his friend's leg and moved it to the brake pedal to depress the brake. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Can you imagine? It's Mm -mm. terrible. Uh, So when the car came to a stop, the Chanley brothers got out and ran for their lives. They did not feel safe staying in the area. They wanted to get as far away as possible, which I don't fault them at all for that. No. So according to Lewis, Chad then got out of his truck holding the AR-15 and said something along the lines of, you MFers come by my house and shoot? I got kids. And that was a quote. 
The injured men in the vehicle shouted back that they did not have any weapons and had never fired shots at the Wall and Reed cabin, and they begged him to call them an ambulance. But Chad shouted back that if they ever returned, he would kill them all. And then he got back into his truck and left with Rory still unresponsive in the driver's seat and two men with gunshot wounds still in the car. Frankly, I'm shocked that there weren't more injuries with him just standing up and shooting into their car. At this point in the story, we can see that there really are very big differences between what Chad says happened and what these young men in the Sebring say happened. In Chad's story, the men had fired at him first. In Lewis's story, Chad had chased him down, shooting at them for stealing solar lights off their office property. After Chad had left the scene of the shooting, the Chanley brothers, who had taken off on foot, came back to the Sebring to check on their friends. They noticed that Rory was in really bad shape. He was unresponsive at this point and had fingers missing from his left hand, and although he was still breathing and attempting to speak, they knew he was in critical condition and in desperate need of a hospital. The men worked together to move Rory to the backseat of the vehicle. Lewis made a makeshift tourniquet to slow the bleeding in his leg while Gonzalez attempted to get the vehicle to start so that the men could drive themselves to get help. But in a nightmarish twist, the oil pan had been ruptured, leaking a trail of oil all over the meadow, and the vehicle would not start. None of the men had a cell phone signal out there in the wilderness, so the group decided that the two least injured men uh, would run up the road in search of help. Man. That's terrifying. The whole thing is just so, like, horrifying to even think about any of this happening. And you know help is not close. Even when you are able to start making calls, it's It's still a while. Yeah. Exactly. So after running for what seemed like an eternity, the men came up on a trailer near a campsite. The people that were staying there also did not have a cell phone signal, but they offered to take the men to the main campground so that hopefully they could get a landline and and get a call out. Uh, Meanwhile, Chad had met up with a sheriff's deputy named Juan Cervantes and a fish and wildlife warden named Kyle Kroll. He told them that he may have shot someone and warned the officers that there may be kids out there with guns. At this point, he did not tell the officers that he had been shot at which I think is a very important part of the story. Yeah. Because he, you think you would mention that right away. Yeah. If that, was, if that was a true thing that had happened. Right. Your life was in danger. Right. Officers arrived at the campground where, the, where two of the victims were located and noted that they appeared to be very scared. The two men took the officers back to the Sebring. It had been between two and three hours since the men had left on foot to get help, and they had no idea what horror would await them when they returned. Officers responded to a gruesome scene with a videographer in tow. Ben Staley had been filming for the show Wild Justice and was able to capture the crime scene in detail. He said it was worse than anything you'd ever see in a movie. The first responders noticed Lewis laying on the ground, bleeding from his leg with a tourniquet that was way too tightly wrapped around him. They also noticed Rory laying in the backseat of the car and knew that he was close to death. The injured were all taken to the nearest hospital and Chad Wallen-Reed was taken in for further questioning. Chad maintained his story that the men had shot at his home, shot at him from their vehicle, and that he feared for the life of his children. I want to read some of the quotes that he said to police during his interview, kind of to give a perspective on Chad's state of mind. So the first quote, I served five years in the flipping military and I killed people on the other side of this world. I don't need to effing kill kids in my state. This is a bizarre thing to say after this event has taken place. Yeah. Uh, The next one was... That's what the military trains you to do is effing, you know, react. Those kids don't stand up effing chance. None of that's coming from a place of like, oh my gosh, I hate that this happened. Like, Or like, I've hurt some people. Yeah. Like, yeah, no. All of this is very like, 
it's just so aggressive. Like, it's just so like, it is, it's over. Like, why are you saying any of this? Right. You know what I mean? Like have some compassion. Cause they are people, they have families, you know, all of this. And clearly they did not have anything that they, they told you we didn't do anything. You know, right. we we're sorry. The next morning on July 3rd, Rory's mom got the worst phone call of her life. Her son was in critical condition and she needed to go to the hospital quickly. Back at the Wallen Reed cabin, police were raiding and confiscating all the weapons and collecting any evidence that may be present. One officer took Chad on a drive to recreate the events of the night before on camera. Chad pointed out the area where he said the young men had fired on him, as well as the area where he said he fired his pistol back at them. And while they're on that kind of trip, he was very specific about where he said he right. fired. Like, so basically they could be like, you did this here. Okay. Well, let's look for shell casings. Right. You know, like exactly. you're not going to be off. It wasn't like an area. It was like right here is where it happened. He was adamant that he had used a small caliber handgun to fire on the men and had never mentioned that he used an AR-15, which they're going to be able to tell right. you idiot. When they arrived at the meadow where the shootout had ended, they could see that the other officers had already marked several spots where they had found shell casings. Upon seeing all of the evidence markers, Chad quickly changed his story. He now admitted that there was another firearm used, the AR-15. Um, he may have been reluctant to admit that he had used that particular weapon because it is illegal in um, California to own this AR-15, but he had bought it legally in Reno, Nevada. But the main part of Chad's story that never changed was that he was sure that the men had shot at him first. This was a fact in the story that could never be proven. Officers never located a gun in the Sebring or any of the men traveling in it. That part just made me so angry when I like learned like that, that was like a fact that like they did not have a weapon. They definitely weren't shooting at him first. Like, right. It just makes me so like it just drives me crazy to think that about people like Chad Wallen Reed living in this world. Chad was arrested on charges of attempted murder and booked into the county jail. Chad's wife was devastated. She said it was very hard for them to take her husband away and that she never expected that outcome and it never expected to be away from her husband in this manner. Well, okay. Does anyone ever expect these kind of things? Who sits at home and is like, one day I think my husband's going to go to prison for shooting people? Yeah. What? Yeah. Nobody does. <laughs> no. So Chad stewed away in his jail cell and convinced himself that he was well within his rights to have handled the situation the way that he did. He got himself so worked up and angry over the fact that he had been arrested, and in his mind, the kids in the Sebring had been terrorizing his family, and he was only doing what any good husband and father would have done in the same situation. And his wife, Carrie, agreed. She says that she has no regrets about that night, even still to this day. Personally, I... I <laughs> yeah. You could think, like, hindsight would give, like, a little bit of insight. Bit of clarity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like... But she has no regrets about it and says that she believes that her husband just was doing what he had to do and that he was protecting them and keeping them safe. Those were her exact words. He was protecting us and keeping us safe. Okay, but who keeps you safe now? Because now he's right. in jail and he's not there to do this. So right. that upset me so much when they were talking. First of all, I feel like they fed off of each other and yeah. he would get upset and then she was more upset and then it was just like this high-intensity relationship basically. But who would say – when your husband's in jail for, you know, crimes that he committed that he didn't really have to, I'm glad this is what happened. I wouldn't change right. anything. Say when I have she no said regrets. I, are you out of your flipping mind? I know. I Well, <laughs> I yeah. would say we, yes. have <laughs> we have questions. So back at the hospital, Rory was fighting for his life with his parents by his side. But just a few hours after his parents arrived, Rory passed away. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey, all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer, step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. A few hours later, Chad was officially charged with first-degree murder, and his bail was set at $1 million. Chad's attorney, John Olson, attempted to prove that Chad was within his right to fire the young men who had come onto his property. California does not have a stand-your-ground law, but they do have a jury instruction that states that a person under threat has a right to stand his or her ground and even pursue an assailant. Olson insists that seems like it goes a step further than standard ground. Yeah, and I would be curious. And I didn't actually look up that. Jur- I just um, that was a piece of information that came from the de- from the Dateline. Yeah, I would have been curious to go look that up and find out exactly what that says because I can't imagine that a state has it written, whether it's a law or a jury selection, that says that you're allowed to like pursue. That seems um, a little much. Because really, doing that, like you you're you are putting yourself in danger. Oh yeah. So it doesn't seem like that would be illegal thing. Maybe oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're crazier in California than I thought. What's going on in California? <laughs> so Olson insists that Chad is the perfect person for that defense because he has a clean record and has never been in trouble with the law before. Chad felt so confident that his attorney would be able to get him acquitted that he turned down a deal from the DA. You should never do that. Yeah. I mean, g- you killed somebody. You right. know, like you know what happened. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know. know what happened. There's no like could you have or did you not? It definitely happened. Selecting a jury in this case proved to be quite difficult because the residents of the area were either a lot like Chad, had a lot of their guns, you know, had these areas of property where these kind of things did happen and, or they were transplants from bigger cities. So where maybe this wasn't like a normal occurrence to have all these guns and stuff in their home. So they were very worried that they would ever be able to get an unbiased jury, really. But they managed to find a jury that Chad's attorney felt very confident with. I'm not trusting this attorney. No, he's a slimeball. Yeah. (laughs) In the end, the entire case boiled down to whether or not the group of young men had shot at Chad. And this was something that the defense was unable to prove and there was no evidence for. Near the end of the trial, the DA had finally gotten back a copy of Chad's military records that he had requested months prior. The information inside was shocking. Chad had been in the military, but that's about where that story ended. Uh, He had never fulfilled his commitment, and he was actually asked to leave the Army after some questionable behavior, including forging sick leave papers and carrying a personal firearm into the barracks. He was also guilty of wearing uh, Ranger badges when he was not, in fact, an Army Ranger, as he had told 
the police and I guess his wife and everyone he knew. Yeah. Um, that was like his whole big thing was like, I was this big army ranger. Like right. I know how to handle myself. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of his whole entire like defense really. Right. So these big lies called Chad's entire character into question as they should have. When Chad was interviewed for Dateline before his trial ended, he told Keith Morrison that he did not believe he would be acquitted because most people had a negative opinion about him. Did they see him, meet him, or talk to him? Because if so, then yeah. (laughs) So he was right. Um, After less than a day of deliberation, Chad was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to 80 years in prison. Wow. His wife, Carrie, is devastated but says that she will never leave her man's side. She is convinced that he's her soulmate. She's never going to move on and try to remarry. Um, She always is going to be with him. And that is that. So the cabin was sold to pay legal bills. And Carrie says all they have left are fond memories. This makes me so sad for their kids because of how adamant they, the two of them are that this was the right thing to do. I just feel like whatever would have gotten your dad home safe that night and nobody to die, that would have been the best choice. Right. But the whole thing kind of upset me with her too. Like if you had all these break-ins prior you know, prior to this night. And then the night before, you know, you think somebody's been on the property. You've been investigating yourself. I would pack up my kids and go home. This isn't your primary residence. It's different to me if it's your home. And I get you don't want to leave. You don't want to back down from whatever. But come on, if you're really that worried about your kids, you could not stop me from taking my kids. I would say you stay home, do what you have to do. I'm out of here. Yeah. I wouldn't, if I was truly scared people were trying to hurt my family, I wouldn't have them there if I had the second option. Some people don't have that option. So I, that kind of whole thing upset me. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I agree though, like about them, like telling the kids that this was the right thing to do and all of that, because I guess though, like I kind of understand from their point of view, because the alternative is to say daddy was wrong, like, you know, and like yeah, he did but- the wrong thing, but which he did the right wrong thing with maybe the right intentions though. You right. Know? He thought he was doing the right thing. He But as it turns out, you just can't chase people down and shoot at them. Yeah. I mean, really. You know, that's really that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, very interesting story. Probably one of the more interesting datelines I've ever seen. So I would definitely encourage everybody to go watch that one if they get a chance. Right. So Melissa, last thing before we go. Yes, go ahead. What do we got? So Brenny, my love. <laughs> What's up, Brandy? Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. So she wants to know, uh, she wants to know bougie reasons why we couldn't go to prison. Do you know what that means, Melissa? Okay. Is that too hipster of a word for you? <laughs> I mean, I've seen the youths use it, so I feel like I can use it in a sentence. I don't know the exact um, answer to that. But Mandy, what what about you? What are your... I have so what, what, Okay, many. explain bougie first. Well, I guess it's just like oh, you don't ridiculous. Know like fancy, silly, like just stupid. Like you're just like so like... I don't even know. Well, this was a great one to pick. Yeah, great job, <laughs> Mandy. Okay, no, I, I don't even know how. I it's like you, you know, it's one of those words where like you know the meaning, but like you can't, you can't. Yeah, that doesn't work on SATs. So yeah, I know. Well, I've gotten this far in life um, figuring things out that way. So anyway, <laughs> um, so I have actually a lot, but um, I'm a very like girly girl. I like to have certain girl things. Like I like to wear makeup. And I like to have perfume and I just like to like be able to straighten my hair. I mean, all these things are reasons why I would be really miserable in prison. Right. And another thing that I was thinking of today because 
you know, I always have my headphones around my neck and I'm yeah. always listening to music. Maybe you don't know that, but I am at home. I just put my headphones in and listen to music while I clean or while I do anything or whatever. I think I would be really upset not to be able to listen to music yeah. in jail. Like that would be absolute torture. I love having something to listen to. Like you could listen to screaming and yelling. No, and fights. no, that sounds terrible. It <laughs> sounds like what I do already with, <laughs> with children. But yeah, so like just not being able to have like girly stuff and like not being able to – I don't know put on like fuzzy socks and like you yeah know, like I don't know like all that those I mean, are all very on valid top of, like obviously getting shanked <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say on top of like missing your family and oh. stuff like that <laughs> priorities um, but those are like obvious ones yeah. and that's what I don't think goes... bougie means obvious exactly but we don't know <laughs> we don't know but we don't know no. but um so anyway so it's, it's those kinds of things like I said I think not being able to listen to music would really drive me crazy that's a good one okay so I have a few one number one is I look terrible in French braids and that seems to be like the <laughs> most common hairstyle in prison I, I have, have a, enough hair to French braid. I know but I also have a five head and that like nothing shows your five head more than a French braid that's true I can't do that that's too much for me um number two I need a fan to go to sleep oh my gosh yes right that'd yes. be miserable yes. like I need Maybe somebody could blow in my face there's or like something. Not, not only is there no fan, but there's like no AC. Oh yeah, remember? Wait, I feel like we did learn that. We did with everywhere. Anthony Curcio. You're right. Okay. See, and we it learned things. Probably here. is everywhere. I highly doubt if they didn't have it in whatever state that was. What was it like Arizona? It was like another hot state. Yeah. Like if they didn't have it there, then I doubt we have it here. Oh man, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, my last thing is peeing in front of people other than my children. I would get a bladder infection immediately. There's no way I can do that. I, thought, I didn't think they had like community. I thought they had stalls. I mean, in Orange is the New Black, they have stalls. You know, they could <laughs> easily go in there. I think it would still be. No, in your cell. You have a pee toilet thing. Oh, there's no like common area toilets? Mandy, is prison, not when you're in your cell. Is prison not like Orange is the New Black? <laughs> I, think, I think you're getting your information from the wrong place. I did think of some pros though. I have two pros. Number one, you can eat honey buns around the clock and you don't count calories in prison. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> I would still be killing calories in prison probably, at least for the first year. And then I'd be like, forget this. <laughs> How many more years do I have? I'm done here. Okay. And the other thing is socks. They wear socks all the time in prison. And they wear, if you watch 60 Days In, they're always wearing like sweatsuits and stuff. That's like my uniform. I'd be so comfortable. Yeah. And you don't have to look cute. If you look cute, it might actually be a problem for you. I, <laughs> I could do real well. So I'm considering my crimes now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we're supposed to be listing reasons why we don't want to go to prison. Yeah, I'm trying to look at the bright side if I do. <laughs> I have a plan in place. So yeah, those are our things for this yeah. week. Last thing before we go, thank you, Brittany, for that question. So um, we have a couple promos this week. We have three promos this week. The first one is from our friends Carrie and Jody with Moms on the Rock. Uh, rocks. <laughs> <laughs> could be on a rock. I don't really know. So Moms on the Rocks, uh, they have their it's kind of conversational. Well, no, it is conversational. Lots of topics, pop culture, all that fun stuff. They are lovely, funny, and we adore them. Um, the next one is Boozy Movies with Hannah and Julia. It was formerly, formerly called Film Roast. I almost got it wrong. Film Roast. And now they're called Boozy Movies. They're so funny. Lots of pop culture references. I just eat that stuff up. So it's perfect. And the last one is Murder Road Trip with Haley and Jess. Um, they actually just covered, I found out today, they covered the Mike Wilkerson, wait, what? Mike Williams disappearance that we did last week. Yes. Yeah. So I, after we posted about our episode, um, 
Haley wrote me and said, uh, is this, <laughs> is this, this guy? Cause they were doing the same one. So if you want more information, their show is really good and they do a great job. Um, then you can check out murder road trip for more information on that case. Yeah. So those are our promos for the week we guys. Them all. Yeah. Stick around, listen to those, find a new show to listen to since we're only here every other week for a few more weeks. And yeah, that's our last announcement. I guess we'll be back in two weeks. Yes. And we're close to being on an every week set schedule. That'll be in September. Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. Great. Uh-huh. All right, guys. Thanks. Well, we hope you guys have a wonderful two weeks and we will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, I'm Carrie. And I'm Jody. We're the Moms on the Rocks. We take interest in Pinterest, but mainly for the cocktail recipes and memes. No pretenses, no Valencia filters, just two friends talking about the real lives of women and moms. From divorce and dating to teenagers and cohabitating. Or love and marriage to the all inorganic baby carriage. We laugh at ourselves and each other as we try to pull this thing off without tripping over our own flip-flops. So subscribe to Moms on the Rocks on your favorite podcast app and find us on Instagram and Twitter at MomsOTR. Welcome to Boozy Movies, movie reviews with a little booze. Each week, we get inebriated and opinionated, taking shots at one film, both literally and figuratively. Listen to Boozy Movies at boozymovies.com, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to join the conversation in our Facebook group, Boozy Movies Drinking Buddies. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Boozy Movies Pod. Murder Road Trip is a bi-weekly podcast where I, Haley, travel to the scene of the crimes in my car, the Mobile Beast Lab. I am joined by my regular co-host Jess and our podcasting friends as we discuss the cases. Join us on the road for snacks, mixtapes, games and more as we make the research journey to crime scenes around the United States and the world. Make sure to check your backseat and we'll see you at the next rest stop. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com